How many people are ready for God's word? Come on, are you ready? Are you, come on, how many people are ready for God's word? Well, today, everybody say today, today is the final message in our Stand Sermon series. We've been taking six Sundays to explore the amazing book of Daniel, learning how to live courageous in these turbulent times. And today, in our final moments, I want to share with you some thoughts on a message that I've entitled Stand Alert, Stand Alert. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 8. We're going to spend most of our time in Daniel chapter 8. Then we're going to gaze briefly in chapter 11. And then we're going to conclude in chapter 12. And we're going to do it all in like 25 minutes. So get ready. But let's just bow our heads. Father God, we love you. I know this house loves your word. And I pray, God, as I, as I talk this morning about stand alert from Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. I love you. I praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So today I want to talk to you for a few moments about the theme of stand alert. I want to break this message into three parts. I want to talk to you, number one, about seven things that you and I saw in the citadel of Susa, a key city in Babylon, in the province of Elam, in the vision I was beside the Uli Canal. And then you come to the end of the vision in verse 27. We'll talk about the vision. In verse 27, I, Daniel, was worn out. He's drained of all his energy. He's just, I'm, 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 I'm so exhausted from this vision. And I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up, went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. Now, if your Bible is open, you're going to notice in verse 1 down to verse 14 is the vision. And then in verse number 15 to 27 is Gabriel gives the interpretation of the vision. And in the vision, Daniel sees this, this, this ram. And this ram had two horns, larger than the other. And the smaller horn grew to the size of the other horn. So two horns on the ram. And it's strong, it's powerful, it's doing lots. And then, then there's this goat. He actually calls it a shaggy goat. And the shaggy goat had one large, large horn. And the shaggy goat attacked the ram and devastated the ram and broke off the horns and defeated and crumpled the ram. And then the horn broken off. I know it's confusing. And then four other prominent horns grew on there. And out of one of the prominent horns, a small horn grew that got really strong. And he talks about it attacking Israel. Now, when I share that, some of you just zoned out on me like that is deep. That is heavy. What on earth does it mean? So let me simplify it for all of us today. Let me simplify it for me and clarify it for you. And so I want to give you seven things you need to know. Number one, the ram with the two horns. Remember the two horns? One horn's larger, the other one's a little shorter, but the shorter one grew into the size of the other one. Represents the Medo-Persian Empire. And so the Persian is the large horn, Medo is the smaller horn that grew to the same size. And so here is Daniel seeing something prophetically that happened within a couple hundred years from the vision where the Medo-Persians overtook the Babylonians. So the ram with the two horns represents the Medo-Persian empire. Number two, the shaggy goat. The goat with a large horn represents Greece. And the large horn on the shaggy goat represents Alexander the Great. Some of you are like, I've heard that. Here's ahead. The Medo-Persians are ruling. And then Alexander the Great rises up in Greece. And so you got the goat with the large horn represents Greece and Alexander the Great. Number three, the goat, the shaggy goat defeating the ram symbolizes the victory of Greece over the Medo-Persians. 
You might remember in our study, we've learned that there's the Babylonian Empire, then it's followed by the Medo-Persian Empire, then it's followed by the Greek Empire, then that's followed by the Roman Empire. And so Daniel is prophetically seeing ahead to when Alexander the Great rises up in great strength in Greece and overtakes the Medo-Persians. Number four, the large horn that is on this ram, that are on this, this large horn that is on this goat that is cut off represents the sudden death of Alexander. Alexander rises to his greatness of power. He's at the, he's at the pinnacle of his success. He's doing amazing. And all of a sudden, he suddenly dies. He suddenly dies. Number five, the four new horns that he saw in his vision, the four prominent horns that started to grow on the goat after the large horn represented Alexander is the Greek Empire. I won't bore you with all the four names, but there were four divisions in the Greek Empire, and each of these prominent four horns represent the four divisions of the Greek Empire. Now, number six, this is what I want you to see. This is the prophetic part. This is the prophetic part. The small horn, there was a small horn that started to grow out of one of the four prominent horns. If you're awake, say amen. All right. The small horn that started to grow out of one of the four prominent horns refers to a man with a unique name that actually lived in those days named Antiochus. Everybody say Antiochus. One, two, three. Antiochus. Antiochus IV, who started to call himself Epiphanes. Now, that's important. Because Epiphanes actually means magnificent. It means glorious. And so here's this guy, Antiochus. Daniel has a vision. And he sees the goat, the ram. You got it. Large horn breaks off. Four prominent horns rise up. And a small horn grows from one of the prominent horns. And it's referring to Antiochus IV, who calls himself Epiphanes, which means magnificent, glorious, who ruled over the Seleucid dynasty. And Seleucius was one of the four branches of the Greek empire in those days. And out of that Seleucius or Seleucid empire comes this guy, Antiochus, that reigned from 175 to 164 BC for six solid years he reigned. And he called himself magnificent and he called himself glorious. And the Jewish people had a nickname for him. They, they took a play on the word epiphanes. And there's the word epimanes, E-P-I-M-A-N-E-S, epimanes, which means madman. And so he's calling himself magnificent. But the Jewish people looked at what he did, and they called him madman. Now, here's what I, I'm going to read these scriptures. I'm going to share with you some thoughts. So let, let me get right to it. Verse 9. Out of one of them came another horn. This is the little horn that's coming out of one of the four horns, which started small, but it grew in power to the south, to the east, and towards the beautiful land. The beautiful land is Jerusalem, Israel. It grew until it reached, verse 10, the host of heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled heaven. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. Please note that. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. Antiochus set himself up to be God on earth in those days. 
It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord. It literally, Antiochus literally went into the temple and, uh, in Jerusalem and he destroyed the, the altar and he replaced it with the God of Zeus. And then he did what was called the abomination of desolation. And he actually sacrificed in the Jewish temple a pig. Think that through for a moment. Sacrificed a pig on the temple in Jerusalem. Antiochus set himself up like God. Look at verse 12. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did. It prospered in everything it did. Antiochus prospered in everything he did. Watch this. And truth was thrown to the ground. And Antiochus literally went around. And if he found the Torah, which was the ancient writings of the Old Testament law that the Jewish people had, the Torah, watch this. He not only burned the Torah, he martyred those who had possession of a Torah. He burned their Bible and he killed those who were reading the Bible. Now, I'm going to do my best to not be super graphic. I know most of the children are in the children's program, and I know there's some children here, so I'm going to be a little delicate in my description, but I don't want you to miss this. He literally went to all the, the circumcised boys and he murdered them. And he literally hung them on their mums, paraded them through the streets of Jerusalem and pushed them off a cliff. It's, it's horrible stuff that Antiochus did. And Daniel saw in his vision of a small horn that started to grow. And it's all referring to this guy named Antiochus. Look at verse Look at, let me give you number seven because I'm, I'm taking you to this point. Antiochus was a real person in history. Church, watch this. Antiochus is a symbol of the coming Antichrist. Antiochus who burned the truth, the Torah. Think it's true. Are we not in a day where they're trying to say the Bible is hate literature? Is there not? Are we not in a day where they're trying to silence the church? Are we not in a day where abortion is prevalent? Antiochus? Antiochus murdered, murdered the babies. It's, it's horrible stuff. And most people read Daniel 8 quickly and they fail to see that it's prophetic. They fail to see that it's a symbol of the Antichrist of today. Look at verse 23. In the latter part of their reign, now, now, he's in, now the dream's been interpreted by Gabriel, when rebels had become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. And the ancient word for intrigue speaks of being led not by man, but led by Satan himself. A master of intrigue will arise. He will become, verse, four, verse 24, sorry, very strong, not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation. He will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He actually went into Jerusalem and martyred 400,000 Jewish people in one battle. Four hundred thousand Jewish people. Some of you are sitting back now going, why have we not heard about this Antiochus? I just believe the devil doesn't want preachers to preach from Daniel 8. I believe that the devil doesn't want the church to talk about the Antichrist. I think the devil wants the normalization of anti-God secularism to sweep into our cities and our churches and in our lives. And I'm here to expose today the spirit of the Antichrist, and I'm here today to lift up the spirit of Jesus Christ. Somebody give a clap offering of praise to the Lord God. In verse 25, he will cause, cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. It's talking about Antiochus. When they feel secure, he'll destroy many. 
may take a stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be destroyed, not by human power. Antiochus was stricken with a bowel disease, and they said that he literally stunk. He was so filled with disease that most Bible scholars believe was the judgment of God coming upon him. And watch this. He ruled for around six years, almost around seven years. And he, he went into the temple and sacrificed a pig. It's so prophetically, symbolically pointing towards, pointing towards the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist today. So I took time to zero in on Daniel 8. Let's go now to number two. Three things you need to know about the Antichrist. I'm going to talk to you for a couple of moments from Daniel chapter 11. And I just want you to know that the first 44 verses, which I'm not going to read, the first, I'm sorry, the first 35 verses, which I'm not going to read, includes over 100 predictions that have already been fulfilled. Imagine that. In 35 verses, over 100 predictions that already have been fulfilled. And some of what you read in those first 35 verses is about the, 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 the abominations that Antiochus did, which again is a symbol, a foreshadow of the Antichrist. Now, before I read this, I just want to go on the record and say, I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back, but I'm tracking the news, and I don't read, I don't read the scripture through the news. I read the news through the scripture. You get that? My lens of life is not what I see on the six o'clock news. My lens of life is the word God. And when I read through the word of God, I'm seeing prophecy, which is linear, ramping up. And the Antichrist, who will be a world leader, could be alive today, who will have the charisma to get the attention of the world, that will actually be like the savior of the world to rescue the world from a crisis. Now, I don't know if the crisis is the coronavirus. It could very well be what we're walking through now is a setup to normalize us to move towards the Antichrist that will manifest. I don't know, but I, we could be the generation. Here I am, 58 years of age, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering in my lifetime, will we be the generation that experiences the rapture of the church? And before I share this, I want to say to the house, the church must wake up in Jesus' name. We cannot be the sleeping giant. We must have a spirit of discernment, and we must not be seduced by the normalization of the Antichrist spirit that is so prevalent today. We must not live in fear. We must understand that we serve a risen Savior. His name is Jesus. Come on, put your hands together and give a clap offering of praise to the Lord. So because time is getting away quickly, three things you need to know about the Antichrist very quickly. Number one is character. I'm just going to read this to you. Now, Daniel is prophesied more clearly about the Antichrist, verse 36 to 39. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt, magnify himself above every god. He will say unheard of things against the god of gods. The Antichrist will do unheard of things, be so anti-god. He will be successful in all that he does. I love this until the time of wrath is completed because the Antichrist or Satan is not in charge, Jesus is. And there's a timeline on the Antichrist for what has been determined must take place. Verse 37, he will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors or for the one desired by woman. Most Bible scholars 
Look at that unique phrase and see the bent of the sexual confusion that is permeating our society today that is normalizing some, some anti-God views of sexuality. You know exactly what I'm talking about. In church, we must not let the normalization of society ingrain our minds and our hearts that we view the normalization of sexuality to permeate our thinking. May the word of God permeate our thinking. In the beginning, God created male and female. God instituted marriage to be between one man and one woman. And so many Bible scholars believe when it says the one desired by a woman is about the normalization of sexual confusion, nor will he regard any God will exalt himself above them all. Verse 38, instead of them, he will honor a God of fortresses. That expression is only used once in the Bible right here. And it's talking about the military prowess. It's talking about the Antichrist putting his trust in the military prowess of man, a God Unknown to his ancestors, he will honor with gold and silver, all about money, with precious stones and costly gifts. Verse 39, he will attack the mighty fortresses with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He will make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. The Antichrist, when he rises in his power, will get the attention of the world and the world will feel that the Antichrist is their savior from their crisis. Number two, his career. Verse 40 down to verse 44. At the time of the end, the king of the south, now, now Daniel's geographical compass is from Jerusalem. Anything south of Jerusalem he's referring to. At the time, the king of the south will engage him in battle. And some Bible scholars believe that that could possibly involve Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and to engage in a battle. This is talking about the final battle of Armageddon that'll be held in the Valley of Megiddo. At the end of the tribulation, the king of the north will storm out against him. And many Bible scholars wonder if the kings of the nations of the north, referring to maybe Syria, Turkey, Iran, uh, maybe even Russia, and uh, will storm out against him with chariots, a cavalry, and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. Verse 41, he will invade the beautiful land Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. Verse 42, he will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. Verse 43, he will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver, all the riches of Egypt, the Libyans and Cushites and submission. Verse 44, but reports from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. Now, to understand Daniel, you got to read the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation talks about the seven-year tribulations. I personally believe, and it's just Mark's personal view, is that the church will be raptured before the tribulation. But halfway into the tribulation, you step into the great tribulation. In the first three and a half years, the Antichrist will receive the love and affection of the world. But then his true colors will go out in what's called the abomination of desolation, when he literally will step into the temple in Jerusalem and he will abominate, his true colors will come out and will step into the great wrath the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And then comes the, the, the battle of Armageddon. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus is gonna come riding on a white horse, 
coming to bring redemption, to come and to bring victory, because no devil, no Satan is going to defeat my Jesus because the tomb is empty. I'm preaching now, church. The tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive. Amen. And so I want to I show you number three. I know it says number two on the screen, but number three, his collapse. I want you to look at verse 45, his collapse. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. That's between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea. It's referring to the Valley of Megiddo. Yet he will come to his, he will come to his end. Come on, mark it down. He will come to his end and no one will help him. Woo! Come on, somebody give a clap offering of praise to the Lord. He will. He will. So his character, his career, and his collapse. I'll take you now very briefly into chapter 12, four things that you need to know about Israel in the last days. And we're going to take you to the final verse in a couple of moments. And I believe it's going to encourage us. But number one, number one, write this, you know, it's tribulation, tribulation. And Daniel chapter 12 is specifically referring to the covenant people, the Jewish people. And sometimes we get a little confused because we know as a church, we, we understand another view of tribulation, but, but there's Jewish people that will come to know Jesus during the tribulation when the veil comes off and there will be a revival in the Jewish people. And the Bible says in Romans that Israel will come to salvation. But in verse one, at that time, Michael, which is one of God's key archangels, the great prince who God has assigned to protect the covenant people, the Jewish people will arise. There will be a time of distress which in other books of the Bible is called Jacob's trouble, and it's also called tribulation. Here it's called distress, such as not happened from beginning of nations until then. And you got to couple that with the book of Revelation, which talks about the, the wrath that is poured out in the great tribulation. Then there's number two, deliverance. But at that time, your people, the Jewish people, everyone whose name is found witness in the book will be delivered. There will be Jewish people that come to Jesus in the tribulation. And he's talking there about deliverance. Then there's number three, resurrection. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth. I have many people say to me, Mark, talk to me about cremation. Talk to me about embalming. Is there a scripture that tells us cremation is wrong? I can't find a scripture that teaches cremation is wrong. Eventually, we will all... If we die and we're buried or we're cremated, embalming will slow down you becoming dust. Cremation will quicken you becoming dust. And it really is a preference. And some of you in the house or watching online might have a stronger conviction, but I personally can't find a chapter and verse that teaches me that cremation goes against the teaching of God's word. But I want to say to you, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake the resurrection. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And this verse is alluding to the truth that the normalization has swept into Christianity that there is no hell. And there's a normalization that has seduced the teaching in the church that will all go to heaven. Love wins. But I don't see that in the pages of God's word. I see heaven is real and hell is real. We can debate what hell would be like, but I don't think we can biblically debate whether there is or is not a hell. Jesus doesn't send anybody to hell. 
He rather makes a way so we can go to heaven and spend eternity with him. It's found through a personal relationship with Jesus. Number four rewards. Those who were wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. In the book of Philippians, he talks about you and I being as shining stars. And I feel the spirit of the Lord saying to me that a star shines in darkness. It's never seen till the darkest of the night. But I'm calling the house. I'm not responsible for Canada. I'm not responsible for Ottawa. I'm not responsible for the world, but I'm responsible for this house. And I'm calling us in this dark age to shine brightly for Jesus Christ. Shine brightly for Jesus Christ. May a spirit of boldness and courage rise on us like was on Daniel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And those who led many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let me wrap this up in our final moments. I want to read verse four down to the final verse. But you, Daniel, Daniel's like almost 90. He's 85 to 90 years of age. He's an elderly man. And he's wiped out from the vision from Daniel 8. And God spoke to him through the angel and said, roll up and seal the words of the scroll. Roll up the scroll and seal. It's very symbolic because in those days, when a king rolled the scroll and sealed the scroll, what is written in it was sealed only to be opened by a king. And there's a scroll of prophecy that's been rolled up and sealed that will only be opened up by the appointed time of the father, not even the son knows when Jesus comes back for his church. But I believe that the father is looking at the scroll right now. And I believe that the imminency of the father opening the seal to unfold what is written here is imminent. Church here on site, watching online, Jesus could come back this morning before we sing our final song. I would challenge you to make sure your heart is right with God. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Many people try to tell me this means that the knowledge will grow and we'll, we'll be inventing things. I don't think it has anything to do with inventions. I don't think it has anything to do with the rapidity of technology. I think it does everything to do with the search of man's heart to understand the truth. And Antiochus burnt the Torah and murdered the people who were reading the Torah. And the Antichrist spirit is prevalent today who wants this book to be called this, not a book, this Bible. It's not a book, the Bible, the word of God, the word of the living God to be treated as hate literature. And I want to declare to the house today that in this darkness we're in, there is a hunger and a thirst around the world for truth and spirituality. There's people you work with, people in your neighborhood, people across the city, people across this nation, people around the world that are, are surfing churches and watching because they're hungering for knowledge and understanding because there's a vacuum that's, that's missing. There's something missing and we've got the answer. His name is Jesus. I prophesy this is the church's finest hour. I believe that God is about to send a revival just like we sung this morning. I believe 
The miracles are going to happen. Prodigals are going to come home. Hallelujah. There's going to be victory that's going to be found in Jesus. So shine, Woodville, like a shining star. And let's share with the world the answer that is found in Jesus. The normalization of the Antichrist is to get you so fearful. Get you so fearful that you can't say the name Jesus. Church, I'm not going to sit back, shut up, stop until I've lived the final breath, until I step into eternity. As far as I'm concerned, on my watch as your pastor, we're not going to cower back. We're going to let the light of Jesus Christ shine, shine, shine. Come on, give a clap offering of praise to the Lord. Now, I want you to stand to your feet in these final moments and want the band to come to the front. And I want to read you these final verses. Verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked... And there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. He was standing probably by the Tigris River, and he saw angels in the spirit realm. Verse 6, one of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, he sees an angelic manifestation over the water. How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Everyone wants to know, when's he coming back? Verse 7, the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand, right hand, the arm, the hand of authority. Then he lifted his left hand towards the heaven, and I heard him swear, not, not swear in the sense we might think from an earthly standpoint, but speak an oath by him who lives forever, referring to God who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and a half time. Very Hebrew words speak a time means a year, one year times two years half a time, three and a half years. It's a little confusing, but it's prophetically pointing towards the three and a half mark of the tribulation when the great wrath is poured out, when the power of the holy people is finally broken and all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, he replied, go your way, Daniel. Live your life, Daniel said to me in words that he spoke to my spirit. It's like God was saying to Daniel, stay the course. <laughs> Danny boy, you were taken from Jerusalem, brought to Babylon as an exile. You've been in the den with the lions. You've been through lots in your life, but stay the course. Fix your eyes on heaven. Stay the course, Daniel. Stay the course. Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up. And they're sealed until the time of the end. Only the Father will unravel the seal. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined. Talking about the Jewish people in tribulation. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. But those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished. That's the abomination of desolation. Antiochus did it. The Antichrist is going to do it. And the abomination that causes desolation set up there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. It's a little confusing because there's more days written once and less days written the other part. It's confusing. Don't get caught in it. It's speaking of three and a half years. But in verse 13, Daniel, as for you, go your way. Stay the course, Daniel. To me, Daniel, you're going to die. You're going to be buried. But at the end of the days, <laughs> Daniel's body is in the ground spirits in heaven but into the, the days your body will rise to receive your allotted inheritance and 
and then the prophecy is so clear because Daniel was like a was an, an exile from Jerusalem living in a country that was foreign in a land that was not his 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 upbringing his heart was Jerusalem but his body was in Babylon and you and I today you and I today when if, if I if I breathe my last breath on earth I'm not leaving home I'm going home because this world is not my home this world church get it in your spirit this world is not your home. And so when you die as a believer, you're not leaving your home. You're going home. And God said to Daniel through the angel, stay the course. And I believe God is saying to this house prophetically, stay the course, stay the course, stay the course. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stay the course. Don't get spooked out about the Antichrist because the Christ Jesus shall reign. He's the one that we lift up. There is no other name like the name of Jesus. The tomb is empty. Pastor Brad, the grave is empty. He is not in a tomb. Jesus has raised to life and he lives forever. Prophecy is being fulfilled, but Jesus is coming back someday. Somebody, somebody right now, give a little clap offering of praise to the Lord God. Death could not hold the veil tore before you. You saw it's a of sin and grave in the heavens I roar the praise of your glory for you are raised to life again come on death could not oh, death could not hold the veil tore before you you silence the voice Everyone's eyes are closed. 
whether you're standing here in the main auditorium, balcony risers in the overflow, overflow room or watching online today, if today was the day that you died, that you stepped into eternity, do you know that 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 you're going to heaven? Have you personally asked Jesus Christ into your life? I'm not asking if you just made a decision for Jesus. I'm asking, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you putting him first in your life? Have you asked him to be the center of your life? Are you living for him? Are you serving him? In these last days, I believe this is not the time for us to mess around with our eternity. If Jesus came back today, are you ready? If you can't answer that question with a definite yes, I'd have no greater joy than to lead you in this prayer. And I want to invite you to join me in this prayer this morning. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. I have decided to follow you. I make my peace with you today. I receive you in my life. I pray this now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Open your eyes, look this way. Can we put our hands together right now and celebrate salvation? I believe that there's a number of you right here on site and a number of you that are watching online that you gave your heart to Jesus. You made the best decision of your life. You're on site on the way out. Drop by one of the tables at an exit point. We got a Bible for you, a little booklet for you. We've got an online follow class that happens on Wednesday nights. They'll tell you about it. If you're watching online, reach out to us. We'll reach back to you. We want to get you in that follow class. We want to help you in your new faith journey with Jesus. I'm so glad that you came today. Next weekend, we are beginning our Easter season. And on Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, it's next Sunday, I got a word burning in my heart talking about a visitation from God. And I can't wait to share with you about a visitation from God. And then on Good Friday at 10 o'clock, a communion service, and we're going to focus on the cross. We're going to focus on Jesus. And I, I want to share with you some thoughts on, on the final week of Jesus. And then Easter Sunday, you saw it this morning. We're not having two morning services. We're having three because we know we're going to need three services on Easter Sunday, 9 o'clock, 1030 or 12 o'clock. And we're opening up more overflow rooms. We're, we're, we're looking for 100 people in the overflow rooms. And I want to invite you to be shining stars. Invite people to join you on Easter Sunday on site. Invite people to, to watch us online on Easter Sunday. The video clip that you saw will be available on our website today. And you can spread the word on all your social media. Let's make Jesus famous in the city of Ottawa. Amen. Let's share the love of Jesus. We are believing for 1,500 people on site on Easter Sunday, and we're believing for thousands to be watching us online. But more important, we're believing for hundreds of salvations on Easter weekend. And we wanna invite you to join with us for that. I wanna encourage you as your pastor to register for prayer next Sunday night, because prayer is the key to propel us to the future that God has for us. And we wanna invite you to join us on site next Sunday night six o'clock. If you can't join us on site, join us online because we know prayer is going to make the difference. If you're our guests, can we one more time thank all of our guests. Come on for joining us today. I'm, I'm so glad that you joined us. You're on site, drop by a table. We've got a gift for you. If you're watching online, reach out to us. We want to get to know you. If you thank you for your faithful giving. Most of you are giving online. 
but there's quite a number of you who choose to give on site. Buckets at the back, debit machines in the lobby, and we thank you for your ongoing faithful giving of your tithes and offerings. But I wanna pray for you, and after I pray, you could go, but there's gonna be altar workers standing at the front, and if you'd like to come forward and have someone personally pray for you, socially distanced, properly COVID-friendly, we wanna give you that opportunity to come to the front. But could we just lift our hands all across this place? Lift your hands, balcony risers, main level overflow room, you're watching online, Father God, I, I believe, Lord, that you're up to something great in these last days. And God, I pray that this, this, this book of Daniel that we've studied today, help us to stand alert. Help us, God, to stand alert. Help us, God, to not be seduced by the normalization of, 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 of the Antichrist spirit. Help us, God, to be shining stars for you. Help us, God, to share you, to love this city, to love this great city. Help us, God, to do all we can. Lord, even the outreach that we saw on the screen that's, that's happening, Lord, that's, that's put on by one my ministry help us God to get on board and to share the word help us God to keep on inviting people for Easter I thank you God for a couple in our church in a seniors living residence clustering people together God I pray that anointing would sweep across the city in every seniors living residence in our great city I pray God that you would send the fire of revival across the city in this church in this pastor's life I pray God that we would step into a, a harvest of souls of revival that we have never experienced before. I pray, Jesus, that walls would come down in the spiritual realm. I pray depression would break in the name of Jesus. I pray healings would flow in the house. I pray prodigal sons and daughters would come home. I pray in the name of the Lord that you would send a mighty wave of your spirit across this city, across this church, across this nation. So thank you, Jesus. Even though we talk about the Antichrist, we lift up the, the Christ, Jesus, our living Lord, the Alpha, the Omega, the sweet rose of Sharon, my Savior, my Deliverer, my Baptizer, my soon-coming King. Hallelujah. We lift, come on, Woodville, we lift up your name. We lift up your name. We lift up your name. I pray, God, that we would walk out of this place today in courage, fired up for you. Help us to stand courageous in these turbulent times. Bless these wonderful people in the name of Jesus. Nobody whispered, everybody said amen, amen. Come on, put your hands together one more time and give a clap offering of praise to the Lord God. Evelyn and I love you so much. And may God just give you a great day. God bless you. Thank you for those who joined us online. Thank you for those who joined us on site. The altar is open. God bless you. Have a great day. Have an amazing God-filled week.